1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we finished through up to and including verse 11, so we'll be picking up at verse 12 tonight. In the last two sections, the Apostle Paul has been teaching and clearing up confusion uh, to the Thessalonian church about the end times, what we, well, sometimes we also call the last days, and sort of taking us up into the heavenlies, the eternal realm, it's now time to come back to earth. We have to get back to the business of, of living uh, out our, our Christian faith until the Lord does, in fact, return. Each section he uh, included, uh, first he talked about the rapture of the church and then the day of the Lord. Each section he included, he, he concluded, sorry, with the encouragement to comfort one another with these things. Well, what does that look like? What, what does that mean? Is that just telling everybody, hey, it's going to be okay, don't worry about it? What does a loving and encouraging church look like in terms of its interpersonal relationships? We just recently studied Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, where a young man or religious leader said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So again, what does that look like? What what does that mean? In in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, before he began talking about the end times, uh, encouraged us to live lives that are pleasing to God. Sometimes we don't know what that means either. And so tonight and next week, he's going to put a little bit of a handle on what some of those things mean. He's been teaching us about living peaceably, but we don't live in a very peaceful world, do we? So how do we live peaceably? How do we express it in the church? And it certainly seemed um, like living lives pleasing to God, which included sexual purity, which we saw in chapter 4, prepares us for God's final judgment. So here, at the end of this letter, we're going to see this week and next week, multiple times, he uses the word brethren, a word to show us that he's speaking to all the people in the church, or in Thessalonica, or the various churches in the area. And in verse 13 and verse 23, he bookends it with the world, with the word peace. So for brothers and sisters in the church, we are to live at peace. And it seems to me this living at peace with one another in the church, that doesn't mean, you know, you just come in and leave and you got to get to know one another. You can't live at peace. That's living and not knowing one another. Uh, Prepares us for uh, getting ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I think it's fair to say that a chief concern for the Apostle Paul, uh, for the Thessalonian church, and for all churches And I will say this, the New Testament assumes that you are part of a a local, healthy, and well-balanced church, Uh, but a chief concern for the apostles is that God's people in God's church are prepared for the second coming. Now, a lot of people say that they don't need a church. I don't need a church to go worship God, and I would just remind you that all the one another's that are in the Bible— and that we're supposed to do to one another in the church. You can't do that if you're part of a church. Another thing is that, uh, have ever you noticed that we're called children of God? 
We're never called adults of God, are we? <laughs> We're children, and children need to be trained. And a lot of that training comes in a family, and we move towards maturity, but we never totally arrive. And God gives us brothers and sisters in a family. Sometimes uh, it's encouragement, sometimes it's sandpaper, to, to encourage one another, to help us to grow uh, closer to one another and to be more like Jesus. And part of him giving us brothers and sisters is God does not want us to be spiritual only children. Now, no church is perfect. We agree with that? No church is perfect. The minute we walk in the door, we ruin it if it was. And, and so that explains why there's so much church instruction in the apostolic New Testament letters, and no follower of Jesus should ignore this. I mean, there's just so much stuff written to churches that if you're not part of a church, you couldn't possibly uh, obey. Uh, Jesus believed in the church. The apostles were clearly church planters and churchmen and pastors. And, and why many people think that is not important, I think that we need to challenge that with our friends and say, what's, what's the real reason? And for a lot of people, you know, they'll just, they can't be bothered. They have other stuff they got to do. So as the Apostle Paul begins to land the plane, he will talk about church leaders. He will talk about relationships in the church. He will talk about attitudes of people in the church. And he will talk about, yes, difficult people in the church. Again, the goal is for all of the people of God to be ready for the return of Jesus, to be living like Christ, to be living blamelessly, and what we mean by that is living blamelessly, obviously we all sin, we're not sinless, but the more we follow God, hopefully we're becoming, we're sinning less, but we're trusting the Lord, yielding to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit as we await the Lord's return. Now, I think it's fair to say that if a church is not effective on the inside, it will have an extremely limited influence on the outside world. If people are not getting along in a church, people are not desiring to uh, you know, welcome new people, they're not desiring to reach out to others, they're not going to be effective uh, and have influence on the outside world. So tonight, again, as I said, partially because of the weather, actually mostly because of the weather, instead of finishing chapter 5, I want us to take a fine-tooth comb about some roles that God has outlined in the church. Now, uh, we have to avoid the extremes that seem to be out there a lot. Some people just have this opinion of the clergy that they're just so high and mighty, and, and no matter what they do, it's okay. That's wrong. Except me, of course. But that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. Uh, but a lot of other people have the view that the clergy means nothing and, and it's useless and it serves no purpose at all, and that's wrong as well. So tonight we're going to be looking at more of a balanced position in, in how the church is to operate in terms of the roles, some of the roles of people inside the church. So let's jump in verse 12. He says, and we urge you, now some of your versions say we ask you, Brethren, talking to believers, to recognize, to recognize. That doesn't mean like, okay, stand up and get an award. 
It doesn't mean like, oh yeah, I, I know who that is. I know who that is. Some of your versions say to acknowledge. Some versions say to appreciate. Others say respect. Those who labor among you, and the idea of that word labor is to work hard and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. I want to go on to verse 13, although we're not going to really cover it for a bit yet. And to esteem them very highly in love because they're awesome? No. For their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. Our translation would be, this is how you're going to get along. This is how it's not going to be people constantly fighting all the time. So we're here we have um, two important roles in the church. One is the role of the pastor or the elder, interchangeable pretty much in the Bible roles in the church. Those words are used interchangeably. And the other members of the church. And so the apostle starts with how uh, the people in the congregation should respond to their pastors. Now, <laughs> I would not here, but I know of a lot of other churches where the stuff that he's saying, how people are supposed to think about their pastors, words like recognize, acknowledge, appreciate, and respect, I mean, that's just a fairy tale. That, that is not the way certain people, certain places where they treat their pastors that way at all. But in reality, in, in many places, but not all, uh, pastors come in very early and leave very late, and they often leave burdened, and they often leave defeated. I read an article this week, was called The Week, uh, a week in the Life of a Pastor, where it was the up and down roller coaster. He'd get a call from one person that would say, you know, hey, pastor, we just want to tell you, we're very disappointed in the people in our church, so we're going to go elsewhere. Hangs up the phone. The next phone rings. Pastor, we just wanted to tell you how much, every, how much love is in our church, how wonderful it is, and how much we care. And then, you know, the next phone rings again, and you know, it's an email and just says, you know, we're really not getting much out of the church, and we're, we're going to be leaving. And then you get a card in the mail that says, hey, thank you so much for your teaching. We're maturing. We're growing. It's been great. And, and that's actually uh, sometimes the, the way it is. I guess people never really think that maybe part of the reason is themselves. But, you know, a lot of pastors that I know, uh, you know, I, almost all of them I know that I, I hang out with anyway are, are come in very early. A lot of times they're the first person in and they're the last person to leave. And many feel burdened and defeated. And, uh, you know, we all know this, that many church members go home on Sunday afternoon, and you know what they have at the dinner table? They have roast pastor. <laughs> so, and you know, they're just critiquing everything. They're grading the sermon, uh, all that kind of stuff. And the worst thing is they're even doing it in front of their kids, and they're doing it in front of unbelievers, and they're wondering why the kids and the unbelievers don't want any part of their church. Uh, how did, we, how did we get so far off, and we are really way off in this right now in America, is I think that a lot of people seem to take the idea that church is a business whose job it is to meet the needs of the customers. So you have customers, they have needs, and they come in, and they want to have uh, the, you know, the, the church meet all of their needs. And now it's funny to me, and I've said this before, people often remind pastors that church is not a business. But I got to tell you, a lot of church people act more like customers than any of the companies I ever owned. 
<laughs> they are more demanding. And I'm like, you know, you think you want to hand them a bill or go, I take credit cards, man. Come on, what, what, what's going on with this? And, and, and here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people, when their needs are not met, will very easily take their business elsewhere, won't they? And a lot of people go from church to church to church. Oh, sorry, they're led. They go from church to church to church until they find the place where, you know, or they, or they finally give up. And, and if they because if they can't find a store, a church store, that, that meets their needs, that gives them the products that they want, the goods and religious goods and services what they, that they want, uh, what do they do? They go shop online. And next thing they know, they're staying home at, at, at church where it's really great because there's no people to rub you the wrong way or, or nothing, nothing asked of you or expected of you. And, and in fact, you can go to a different church in different parts of the world every single week. Um, but, the, but the reality is this, that, that good leaders need good followers. That's just a, that is just a reality of life. And I'm going to even take it a step further to say that at least I've known in my own life, uh, you know, 35 plus years in business and, 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 and pastoring the church here for, for 14 years, that, that good followers make you a better leader. Like if you have people who are really coming alongside what you're doing, they will, they will help make you better at what it is that you're doing. So apparently, we don't know how big the problem was in Thessalonica. We don't know if there was such controversy over what was going on or he was just trying to, you know, he knew that it was going on in other places and he knew that it, the potential exists in Thessalonica. But apparently, a lack of respect for pastors was a pre-internet problem. Can you believe that? It's actually existed a long time. And so the Apostle Paul is going to address it. Now, this is one thing I think that it's important to remember, that we are all equal before God. Now, I know sometimes people say, well, God answers all our prayers the same. But that's not the way I see it in the Bible. I see some guys praying you know, down fire from heaven, and other people can't light a match. So sometimes, uh, you know, God does, deals differently with, with different people in, in the role that they've been called to. But we, we, have, we are all equal before God. But in the church... Some people have been called uh, to be leaders by God. Now, the worst is when somebody is a self-appointed leader. I mean, that, that's the worst of the worst of the worst because that is a prescription for um, disaster. And I remember a friend of mine telling me at, at his church one time, they, they just, you know, they said, uh, you know, the leaders in the church will be up front, and, and if you want prayer, come on up front. And some guy walked up and they said, uh, how can we pray for you? And he said, well, I'm one of the leaders in the church and nobody even knew who he was. And they were like, well, let's just pray that you get some humility, brother. And they said to him back to his, back to his seat. Uh, the idea that, that we don't um, need leaders in the church and that we can just listen to the Lord is, is honestly, that is, that, is an, um, that is American culture infecting the church of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul begins by saying that the church should recognize them. Again, the idea is they should respect or they should appreciate their leaders. And this is not just, just giving lip service to it. This is not like, oh, I love you, Pastor. You're the greatest. That's, okay. This is just a general respect and appreciate appreciation. And 
A healthy relationship between pastors and a congregation is essential for the work of the mission. It is essential for the work of the church. If that if, if they're not working together to accomplish the same thing, if they're not aligned towards the same thing, that does't mean we don't have different opinions, but if we're not aligned towards the same thing, then we're really not going to make much of a difference. And, and you might say, well, well why, should I, why should I respect them or why should I appreciate them? Well, he tells us right here in verse 12, he, are, he says, they are those who labor among you. In other words, he says, there is an element of respect that, that you are to pay to pastors. Now, please, you know, I'm, gl- I'm glad it's really a stormy night and, and there's not a lot of guests here tonight because they'd be like, what is, who is this guy <laughs> telling us this stuff? You know, we're, we're just going line by line through the Bible. And, you know, but, but we are to respect pastors because, and leaders because of their work. And it's interesting that the, the, the portrait of a pastor or of a shepherd in the New Testament, and I realize it's not always this way in the church, includes um, diligent work to the point of exhaustion. Now, there's some pastors that don't work hard at all, but that is not a New Testament pastor. The portrait of a New Testament pastor is someone who works diligently to the point of exhaustion. Why? Because if the truth of the matter is, is that love works hard. It just does. And that's the, that's the way it goes. And the idea of the word those or they is a team that works together, not a group of individuals that are just doing whatever they feel led to do. And it's interesting after many years of, of being a Christian, not just being a pastor, but I was a Christian a long time before I, I went into the ministry or the ministry grabbed me, a hold of me, I have seen quite a number of church splits. If you don't know what a church split is, it's a group of church and all of a sudden, you know, one guy in the church, he just takes off and he takes a group of people with him and often leaving the people behind devastated and he leaves and he goes starts another church reasonably close or you know, the guy was on staff or just a leader or something like that. And I've seen a lot of that over the years. And I've noticed this about church splitters. They are more social than they are workers. So, so, so what are they doing? They, they're not like the other pastors that are working hard. They're spending more of their time talking to people. It's like Absalom at the city gate talking about his father David and when he split the kingdom. People are coming in. David's working hard on kingdom work and getting stuff done, and he's going to people, well, you know, the king won't see you because he's very busy. But if I was king, your case would be very important to me. And I can't believe how when I've thought about all the different guys that I've seen split churches, that how that has been the case, that they have been more talkers than they have been workers. And people think, oh, he's just so wonderful. He's so wonderful. And the people that work with him is, oh, he's so lazy. He's so lazy. But, the, you know, they don't put that in the bulletin. Maybe they should. Back in chapter 2, verse 9, First uh, Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul said this, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, some versions say hardship, 
for laboring, other versions say working, night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. But look at the words in the verse. Our labor, our toil, okay, night and day. It it is not something that is an easy job. It is something that is to be, again, hard work, diligent work, staying at it, spirit-empowered work. And too often, I think people go into the ministry and they leave it blaming the church because they never really understood that it was work. A lot of people say, well, it just was not what I expected. Well, a lot of times for a lot of people, their expectations are incorrect about what it really takes. I guess a lot of people think they're just going to talk to people and people are going to be like, oh, you are so wise. Oh, I cannot believe how smart you are. Where did you get all those brains, man? And that, that is not what the ministry is like at all. And, and here he says that they, that they work among you. So in the ministry, in addition to a lot of different stuff that you have to do, there's a lot of uh, people work that is quite honestly not always that easy and not always that rewarding. You have to teach people the word of God. There's a lot of discipleship. There's a lot of counseling. There's, there's visiting the sick. There's helping to meet needs. We call we sort of put it all under the umbrella of pastoral care. I'm not whining about it at all. I'm just telling you about it. It's just not that easy. And so, you know, you know how you feel when, when people ask you to help them or, or somebody says, hey, by the way, they need help. I don't, I don't want to do it, so can you do it? And, you know, it sort of passes it on to you. And, and so it, it's, there's a lot of people work. And many pastors will tell you that technology has made it more of an administrative job, yet people want all of the stuff done. Why, why is it more of an administrative job? Because people now have such easy access to pastors for really stuff that is um, unimportant. I mean, back in the day, if you lived in a farming community and you wanted to talk to the pastor about something, you had to walk all the way into town to talk to him. You can bet you were more discerning about what was worth the walk and what wasn't. But now it just takes two seconds to send an email and, and give the pastor six hours worth of work. It just doesn't take that long at all. And so things have really, really changed, and, and I'm sure the Apostle Paul and the Lord knew that was going to happen, and, and he wants to try and stop that. The second thing he says here in verse 12 is uh, pastors are, and this rubs a lot of people the wrong way because it's been abused very badly, that, um, that pastors are over you in the Lord. Now, this Sunday, we're going to talk about servant leaders um, but that idea of being a servant leader carries with it the authority of the Word of God. You are never to lead as a leader in a church in your own authority. You are to lead in the authority of the, the Word of God. Now, some versions say this is over you in the Lord. Some versions say they are to care for you. Others say they are to lead for you. And the idea is, is that, that leaders in the church are to lead in the way of Jesus. Now, the wording can also mean preside and direct. It can also mean protect and provide. So look at all the different possibilities you have here. 
over you in the Lord, care for you in the Lord, lead you in the way of the Lord, preside and direct in the way of the Lord, protect and provide in the way of the Lord. So, so which is true? Yeah, exactly. All of those things are, in fact, true. First Peter 5, uh, verse 1 through 3, the Apostle Peter writes these words. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. So <laughs> you can't shepherd a flock that you're not among. And a lot of people get rubbed the wrong way when you tell them that. They're like, well, I'm called to be a leader in a church. And, and, you know, sometimes you have to say to them, well, you really are not here enough to be a leader. Oh, no, I come every Sunday. Well, that's funny. We take kids' attendance. Your kids only come 20 Sundays a year. Well, okay, well, I'll do better. No, no, no. Okay, great, do better. But you cannot be a leader unless you are among the people of God. That's just the way it is on your job. I mean, if you call out sick half the days a year, are you going to get a promotion? Now, I'm not asking if you work for the government, but if you work for some other entity, right? Are, are you going to get a promotion? Probably not. Probably not. So he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords. We might say not as being dictators over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So Peter here is talking about a significant responsibility given to leaders of the church. It's a calling. It's full of joy, absolutely. But it's also full of heartache. It, it, it's a blessing and it is a burden and it must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the authority that is given to the leaders in the church is only as far as the Lord has given. And I believe that's why he says, in the Lord. That, that you are given this authority in the Lord, in, in the authority of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. And the presence of Jesus empowers the leader, uh, but that is only in the authority of the word of God, not in our own authority. We just can't be going around telling everybody, well, this is what I want, this is what I like, this is the way it's going to be, this is the way we do it here. That stuff is overstepping the bounds of the authority that is given. Now, there's always going to be house rules. That's a different thing. We'll talk a little bit maybe about that this Sunday. But there's always going to be house rules and just say, well, that's not in the Bible, which I always say to people, well, you got kids, don't you? I go, yeah. I go, after you make the bed, do they jump on the bed? And they go, do you allow them to jump on the bed? They go, no. I go, that's not in the Bible, right? There's plenty of things that are not in the Bible, but but that specifically, yes, you should honor and obey your parents, but, but, but we are not to just want things our own way. Pastors under the word of God are commissioned and called to carry out Christ's will, not their own will. Now, that, that's easier said than done. I think it's, we, we have a particular challenge today as, as most pastors are like the rest of the world, really struggling to manage their own time in the world of distraction. Everybody's struggling to manage their own time in the world of distraction. And, and what happens is that that depletes actually the amount of time that everybody has to serve the Lord if they're living constantly in the world of distraction with the Internet. The third thing he says in verse 12 is pastors are to admonish you. 
J.B. Phillips says they are to keep you on the right path. In other words, they are to instruct you in the word of God. Now, this is not just a pulpit ministry. It literally means to set in mind the word of God, to, to set in mind the word of God to the people of God. And that means that, that leaders in the church are going to have to set aside time to get into the word of God so they have something to offer people when people come to them or when they have to go to people. This word admonish means, can mean to confront, to correct, uh, to encourage, to obey. And, and, and so, but, but we are to do it in a godly way. Now, there's sometimes when, you know, you see the guys in the Bible, they're, they're getting kind of tough. And, and, and a lot of times, and even Jesus gets tough with the apostles. And a lot of times it's when, well, dude, you should know better. Or how many times do I got to tell you the same thing? And, or you're, or you're, you're starting to go down the, the wrong path. But in general, it's not something that we do harshly. Um, Leon Morris, the, the Bible scholar, said that, that we, we do it, uh, we admonish people in brotherly love, but it's more so also that we admonish them in big brotherly love. Like we're, we're coming alongside them like a big brother, big sister, and we're just saying this is, this is what God says. Now, this word admonish is most commonly uh, attached to confronting sinful habits and warning people about sinful behavior. It's a warning of consequences, but it's also informing the biblically uninformed. A lot of people just, just don't know. And then you tell them and they're like, oh, I, I, I didn't know. And it's also with those who do know, you know, rebuking them and challenging them when they are in sin. Now, um, it's closely tied to preaching and teaching. Again, it doesn't just have to be in the pulpit. It can be in a diner, one-on-one. It can be in a counseling situation. It's about applying spiritual truth. But the goal of admonishment is not to belittle someone. The goal is to change people's moral character. To, to help them become more like Jesus Christ. And so to admonish someone is to bring to someone's attention that they may be living a lifestyle um, that is contrary to the word of God. And, and leaders are called to bring that to people's attention. Not in an ungodly way but in a way that sometimes is not that easy and, it, and it's uncomfortable. And to be honest, this is one of the hardest aspects of being a pastor because, I mean, I know some guys like to do it. I'm like, you like to do that? You know, now there is an aspect where, you, where you're, you'll do it because you love people, but, but many people just don't want to hear it, do they? They, they don't want to hear, oh, but you don't understand. And a lot of times we don't want to hear it. If, if you say, I can't do that, a lot of people say, I can't do that. I can't admonish someone. I can't correct someone. I can't confront someone. That's okay. It's okay. But don't be surprised when you're not chosen to be a leader. But, but, but don't be surprised when God is not showing the other leaders of the church that, that you are a leader um, because people won't think you're a leader. Or if you can't confront in a godly and kind way. If every time it ends up a fight, 
then, then people are going to say, okay, you're on the right path. You're seeing some of the right things, but we need to work on your delivery. Uh, timing is important. Um, remembering who you are talking to. We're going to see some traits of some people that it's very different. If you're talking to somebody whose skin is uh, you know, thick as a rhinoceros, you can say things to them differently than you can say the things to people you know that are a bit more, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't want to use a word to get myself in trouble. Not thick as a rhinoceros. Um, how, how we say it, um, as well as what's going on at the moment. All of these things are very, very important. Now, God calls pastors to preach the word. Uh, that's a loaded phrase, but basically it means to herald the king's message. We are not called to change it. We are, nor are we call, called to lord our ways over people. Jesus said, that's the way the Gentiles do it. That's the way the unbelieving people. But it shouldn't be that way among you. You don't lord it over people. Rather, we are called to speak the truth in love. And so the people in the church should pray for their pastors to submit to God's authority. It's a big thing that needs to be prayed for for, people, for the people in the church to pray for the pastors. Not that they are the authority. They are not the authority. I am not the authority here. We, we often say that the pulpit, I might stand behind the pulpit on a Sunday or one of the other pastors might stand behind the pulpit on a Sunday, but the reason we use the pulpit is we are under the word of God. We, we're, none of us are not under it. We are under the authority uh, of, of God, and, and we pray for pastors that they submit to God's authority and obey God's authority even when it's uncomfortable. Even when they're thinking, oh, I don't want to admonish that person. Now, that does not mean you're going around. You're not, the, you know, you're not the, the plank plucker. You're not, you don't have the big plank out of your eye. And you're going to pick a little speck out of everybody else's eye. That, you just look like an idiot. That's, that, that, why Jesus uses that hyperbole so you think everybody's like, oh, that's ridiculous, Daddy. The kid's reading the stories. You know, oh, just picture this guy with a, you know, with a telephone pole hanging out of his eye, and he's going to pick a little speck of dust out of somebody else's eye. And the kid's going, oh, Daddy, that's so silly. And Daddy's going, you better believe it is. So that's not what we're supposed to do, but, but sometimes we're going to have to do as leaders uncomfortable work. And so also the people should be praying that God gives their leaders grace and wisdom to address these situations. And one of the things that, honestly, you don't know about and I can't even tell you about is how often situations like this arise in churches. I mean, we can't put up on the, you know, um, you know, well, well, let's today's announcement. Sally and Miriam, boy, did they go out at last Sunday? <laughs> we don't really, we don't, we don't really do that. You know, they, you know, they, they, they were fighting over, you know, which, which whether we should use uh, sweet and low or Splenda when we want, when people ask for if we have a non-sugar substitute. You know, and that's just that's just silly. We don't we don't do that. But there is a lot of stuff that goes on. A lot of you know, uh, marriages like that. All kind family stuff going on like that. And, and, and sadly, the courage to proclaim the word of the Lord, the, the courage to confront sin and correct people is leaving our pulpits and leaving our churches. Why? I'll tell you, give you a very simple why. When, when, when pastors, when people leave the church, pastors get fired. Or when people leave the church or they stop giving money to the church, then, then pastors that are full-time in the ministry have to go back out and find other jobs where they're going to have to make other money because most pastors I know, their families have grown rather fond of eating. 
And so, and so, you know, pastors get fired when people leave the church, and 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 people leave when, when they don't like what the pastor says. So a lot of people want to go not to where they're going to really study the Word of God, be admonished by the Word of God. I mean, gosh, every other verse admonishes us, doesn't it, in the Bible? <laughs> so, and so it's constantly pointing us to why we need a Savior. But a lot of people are going to go to the place where, they, um, where, where the pastor says only what they want to hear. Now, if a pastor's teaching is off, people shouldn't like it, but they should be well-versed enough in the Bible to recognize what's off and what's not. But, but, but to me, this is a personal opinion. You could say dumb, whatever. But if, when people leave churches over petty disputes, to me, that seems sinful. That seems you're just avoiding everything the Word of God tells you to do about how you're supposed to get along with brothers, how you're supposed to try and work it out. Now, sometimes things can't be worked out. I, I, I definitely understand that. But, but that, that is more the exception rather than to be the norm. Well, that was verse 12. There you go. One verse, not doing so well. Let's look at verse 13 again. And verse 13 is, is kind of a result of obeying verse 12. And to esteem them very highly... In love's sake, for their in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. So, the, so pastors and people are to be at peace. Now, it, it seems to me to esteem them is to not be like, "Oh, you're so wonderful," and and you know what? I know a, a lot of pastors uh, want to be called wonderful by their people. Uh, you people are blessed not to have that guy. Right, I, I, that doesn't it doesn't matter to me much at all. Um, to esteem them to me seems that you obey when the word of God is accurately preached. To me, there's nothing more you could do better than when the word of God is preached than to obey what the word of God says. That that to me is that's all I really desire. Um, is that when, when the word of God goes forth and the points are made from the word of God and God's people obey, you could pay me personally no higher honor. That, that to me is, just, what's the expression? That floats my boat. <laughs> that, that I love. And, and he adds, um, you know, very highly in love for their work's sake. He's just saying that the appreciation is not just some sort of a, half-hearted appreciation. It's not lip service, but, it, but it's really trying to appreciate the work that the different pastors in the church do. Um, and again, it's easy to miss, but a great way to love your pastors is to live out the teaching of the Word of God. Just, just imagine how much less admonishment there would be, how much less disputes that you would be involved in, how, how much you know, less heartache there would be for people. And we don't have a lot of it, but but in that may be the case in the Thessalonian church, but boy, it's sure good to be ready for it. Hebrews thirteen seventeen is a very important verse. In my opinion, it's been abused verse, particularly by the clergy. Uh, the writer says this: Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive. I just I cannot believe how many pastors want their own way, and they break out this verse. It's like. Dude, you should mem- if you're going to memorize, if you're going to quote a verse, you know, just don't quote part of it. Quote, quote the whole thing. 
So obey those who rule over you. That would be, some versions say, obey your leaders and be submissive to what? Their authority from the word of God. Not to their every whim, not to their every preference, not, not to what they want. You know, some, some guys, they got, the, they got the guys at the church cutting their lawn, washing their, washing their car, you know, do, doing all this kinds of stuff like that. Now, people do stuff like that to bless people. Out of sight, man, that's great. That's great. Don't wash my car. Wash some old lady's car or something like that. But, but you know, that, that, that's, that's out of sight. But, but be submissive, to, again, to their authority, authority to the word of God. For they watch out for your souls. They, they watch over your souls. Look at this. As those who must give an account. So, so this is where I, when guys, when I hear guys are saying, oh, I told them to do this and they didn't do that. And and I'm like, that's just a preference you wanted, man. Or that's just like, that just sounds like you expect everybody just to, you know, to rule, to do what you say. That's not leadership. That's not pastoring. That is not shepherding the flock of God. And God says, you're going to have to give an account for that. So, so one of these, sometimes I hear pastors talking and, and they're like, oh, I've got these people. They're going to have to obey me when I rule over them. And I'm like, dude, you got to give an account for that attitude. you got to give an account for that bad shepherding. You have to give an account for that. And, and, and so I don't know about you. For me, this verse terrifies me that, that I have to give an account. I don't have to give an account for your obedience. I don't. You have to. But I have to give an account for using the authority that's been given to me by the word of God to exhort you and to encourage you to obey the word of the Lord. That's how some of these guys that only talk about the happy stuff, I'm like, how are you not terrified? Do, do, you, not, do you never read the Bible? Do you, do you not know this stuff? You're supposed to be a herald of God's word, not a herald of your own opinion. And he says, let them do so with joy and not with grief. Obviously, when people obey the word of the Lord, any pastor is going to be filled with joy. And when people don't obey the word of the Lord, it's going to, it's going to, it weighs heavy on your soul. It weighs very heavy on your soul. J.B. Phillips' translation, his paraphrase says this, try to make their work a pleasure and not a burden. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on, for that would be unprofitable for you. Another version says that would be of no benefit to you. And so this verse here, Hebrews 13, 17, um, is important because it outlines, similar to Thessalonians, both the roles of both the pastors and the people in the church. It is, if you will, a description of how the Lord's church works under the word of God. That is the operative kind of idea behind all of this. Under the word of God, pastors are to lead the church as well as under the word of God, they are to watch over and care for the people in the church. Now, let's talk about two ways where that might be um, (laughs) grief-filled for the pastor. Number one, it's next to impossible when people don't come to church. Right? If they're not in attendance, how, how can you lead people who aren't there? The other one is for people who don't want to be led, people who don't want to follow the word of God. Why they come to church is beyond me. You know, I, 
I've said this before, and I don't mean this to be sarcastic and a complete jerk, but honestly, the day it's proven that Jesus never rose from the dead and the Bible's not the word of God, you'll never see me again. (laughs) Because why else would you come to church if you don't believe those two things? If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, if you don't believe that this is the actual word of God, if you don't believe that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, why in the world would you come? I mean, the coffee's good, but it's not that good, right? The bagels are good, but they're not that good. I mean, come on, man. What's up with that? In the same way, um, under the word of God and under obedience to God, there there must be a mutual respect between the leaders and the people, and we are to honor one another in the Lord. And, and, and it's important that we remember to honor the leaders that God has put in the church or in your ministry. Um, one of the things, just a few thoughts, just a couple. I could go on for years, but I won't. Um, don't state your opinion and put a leader's name on it. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't say, oh, well, this is that, and, and you know, Pastor so-and-so agrees with me, or the leader of our ministry agrees with me, or something like that. When you speak on behalf of other people, be very careful. Be very, very careful. That's why I try to make a real point of saying to you when something is my opinion versus what's the word of God. I, 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 it may not look like it, but I prepare a lot of time. I spend a lot of time. And, and if, I'm not, if I'm not where I want to be, I go to bed late and I'll get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and, and still work on a Sunday message or something like that. And, and so but be very careful about that. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be speaking for a leader or you, you shouldn't be speaking your opinion and assigning it to the leader. That's because representing the pastors well and representing the leaders well represents Jesus' church well. And don't forget that, that all of us have a role to play in representing Jesus' church well. Again, when a pastor or a leader is telling you to do something sinful, don't do it. Don't do it. Forget it. I'm not doing that. Now, a lot of times we think stuff is sinful because it doesn't meet our preference. That's a silly thing. You know, people, I say this many times before. People come up to me, I got a complaint about this church. I always go, only one? I have thousands, right? But that, that's okay. And, and, and we, there's, because we want things to be better, there's nothing wrong with wanting them to be better. There's nothing wrong with wanting to meet, reach more people. But we have to remember that, that people are indeed watching us, and we have to represent the church well. But that doesn't mean we obey the sinful. And listen, pastors are human. If you don't think I'm human, you don't know Pam. She'd be happy to tell you, Right? And, and, and she's like, she always says to me, jokes around, hey, Pastor Jim, pick up your socks. Right? And, and so, you know, when a pastor's mistaken, it's okay to tell them. Now, I don't know that it's best to announce it from the rooftops, but it's totally okay to say, hey, you know, this was not correct or that's wrong or, or did you know about this? You know, it's like anything else. You want people to correct you in the right time and the right place, don't you? And, and the same would go for, for pastors. So an unhealthy pastor-people relationship is disastrous for a church. It will, it will suck the joy right out of the room. 
And, and so we all have to be very, very careful of, of our relationships, not only between pastor and people, but between one another. And we have to be careful that we're all prone to moodiness, aren't we? We all can be very, very, we don't get enough sleep. We all have a lot of pressure. We all have a lot of stress. There's a lot of stuff going on in our lives. Um, and it goes for all of us. And one thing that, that I got to tell you something, being in the ministry, I'm constantly aware that I cannot bring my mood to the stage. I can't. So I, I try to leave it upstairs or I sit in the back and, and, I, and I leave it there. But I cannot bring my mood to the stage. Why? Because it's God's time to speak, not mine. And the same thing goes when we're serving. We've got to leave our moods in the car. We've got to leave our moods in the car. This is God's time. This is not a time for us to be fighting with the people in the church. This is not a time for us to be fighting with other servants. This is a time for us to roll up our sleeves, get to work, and during the week, you got six days to figure out how we're going to do it better next week, or perhaps we're going to do it differently. Again, we don't have big problems with that here, but if we don't know how to address it when it happens, we're not going to catch the Holy Spirit's check. The Holy Spirit is going to check you on some of these things, and if you don't know them, you're not going to hear his check. And, and so I, I encourage for every, the same for everybody who serves in the church. It seems like, again, it's okay in Thessalonica, and it's pretty much okay here, but we should always be aware. And, and notice the desired outcome for people fulfilling the roles, or better yet, the outcome that the Apostle Paul envisions, which therefore, when the Bible speaks, God speaks, that it's God's vision, you will be at peace among yourselves. Man, there is enough trouble in this world. Why in the world do so many Christians create it themselves? When I hear about fighting churches, this is the one thing I say to people. Why do you stay? Why do you stay? Are you kidding? Then people say all the time, like, well, I'm there as an agent of change. Oh, good luck with that one. Good luck with that one. When trouble is deeply entrenched in a church and in a leadership, usually what happens? God closes those places. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And they're either giving away their buildings or they're selling it for office buildings or selling the land for condos or something like that. And, and it, it just doesn't work that way. And by the way, why would you waste years of your life in a church full of fighting people? Have any of you noticed that we're not getting younger? It happens to all of us. Everybody gets older. I don't care whether you're 10 or you're 90. We all, we all get older. Why would people want to waste any time in that? I have absolutely no idea. Peace results when love increases. Let me say that again. Peace results when love increases, and love increases when the Word of God corrects and guides the people of God. That's when all of that happens. That moves us to verse 14. See, I did much quicker on that verse. Responsibilities for all of us, he moves to. He goes, now we exhort you. There's this urgency about this, brethren. So what does that mean? He's talking to everybody now. Now, um, leaders have a special responsibility, um, but we all have a responsibility. I think a lot of times people think everything is the pastor's responsibility. 
You know, that which trouble I have heard about, I have passed on to you. That's not what it is. And so we all have a responsibility. People will come to me with problems. They think I don't care. I go, you two work it out. Listen, this is a test of your godliness. This is a test of your sanctification. You work it out. And if there's other people involved, other people in the room, you have an obligation to go apologize to all of them and to tell all of them that you have worked it out. And so you can go to them and say, you know, I know you saw me and so-and-so going at it, but, but we're, we worked it out, and I want you to know that everything's okay, and, and we're sorry that you had to be envisioned with that, especially when friends go at it. Because sometimes friends can go at it, and they can forgive themselves two minutes later. But you don't know who's watching. You don't know who's watching. My wife and I, we don't argue. You know, we have intense fellowship. And so, but we recover amazingly quick. I'm just amazed. And we're always like, it's the Lord. Because seriously, we recover amazingly quick. But I remember when Jessica was about five years old, she was in kindergarten or first grade, and we were having intense fellowship. And, and, and we, were, um, we basically got up kind of snippy with each other and then it was over. Sorry, I love you. Let's keep moving on. And my daughter, just Jessica, was five. She burst into tears. And we're like, why are you crying? She goes, because you're getting a divorce. And we go, we're not getting a divorce. And she goes, yes, all my friends whose parents got divorced told me that's how it starts. They all start by fighting. And I'm like, you're five? How do you know this? But, but so we have to remember that people are, in fact, watching. So he says, now, uh, we exhort you, again, verse 14, we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, Uphold the weak. You sure you want me to read the last part? (laughs) Be patient with all. Hmm, What does that mean? Hmm, What's he saying? (laughs) A very hard part about being a pastor is sometimes pastoring is like herding cats. What I love about the church, I love about it, is the diversity of people that a church brings in. That was what caught my eye when I first went into a church. I was like, there's no way these people would hang out together. Old, young, rich, poor, all different nationalities, all different, you know, just, just this eclectic group of people. Some might say oddballs, but I would just say this eclectic group of people. And, 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 and they're very diverse. And, and yes, church people, we can all be very opinionated, can't we? And the hard, one of the hard parts about being a pastor is when they don't get along. And trying to keep a diverse group of people that is a volunteer army. It's not like, you know, you say to your, in work, you go, hey, listen, you either get along or you're fired. I cannot fire you from the family of God. I've tried, and God's like, no, <laughs> right? you can't do that, Jim, right? And, and, uh, and, so, and so you're trying to keep everybody on the same page, and that's not an easy thing to do. And we have to remember that, that, that many people only see things from their point of view, and it's heartbreaking when that divides people, because when that divides people, that begins to divide the church. And honestly... There's times when I'm like, oh, this is the biggest waste of time. 
But that's a sinful attitude too. We should see these things as opportunity for sanctification and for growth, becoming more like Christ and growing in Christ for all of us. But look at what he says here. Warn those who are unruly. Now, this doesn't mean you become the unruly police, but he says we are to rule, warn those who are unruly. Some versions say warn those who are idle. Hmm, interesting. Remember we talked about people who weren't working early in Thessalonians. Another version says warn those who are idle and disruptive. That's a great mixture, huh? Warn those who, another version says, warn those who are irresponsible. Quite simply, we might say it this way. It, it, it literally means that that word unruly, the literal translation is people, soldiers who are not in rank. So he's saying, warn those that are out of order. Or we might put it this way, warn those who are out of step with the gospel. Warn those who are out of step with the word of God. Warn those who are out of step with the mission. And and the idea is to warn them with what? With the word of God. With the word of God. Why is it urgent? Because of the potential to infect and cause division in the church. And that is something that God does not want. He hates it. So these people, he's saying here, there's going to be people that are going to come into the church and they're going to be disorderly and they're going to be disruptive. If you think it's you, it's probably not. Um, There's going to be people who come in that have their own agenda. They're not on the same page as the church and they they will preach to any audience that's willing to listen to their agenda. So, so what do they look like? Remember, Satan is a terrorist, right? He does not come in through the front door. He doesn't. You know, he, he sneaks in through the leaks in the roof or, the, or, 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 the, or some slot, side door that gets left open for five minutes or something like that. He, he doesn't come in and announce himself. And so what, what do these people look like? Often they look like, I would call them gifted Lazy busybodies. Gifted, lazy busybodies. They actually do have gifts. You see it. But, you know, maybe the church isn't just worthy of them. And so they get involved in a lot of stuff. And, but instead of leading, maybe they even have leadership gifts. Instead of leading, they are loafing. And they are very hypercritical of everything. Everything especially the leadership who hasn't recognized them and their wonderful gifts. And here's what it's important about them. Uh, They often don't go away on their own unless somebody speaks to them. And, and, And rarely do they stop what their division, their divisive behavior on their own. Why? Because they swear they're right. They swear they're right. And, and they'll complain that no church has really ever recognized their great talent. So it's important to remember that the, the biggest threat to the church, he's telling the Thessalonians, is, is from the inside, not the outside. We're so worried about what the government's going to do to us. And he's like, you know what, that's just a diversion. 
The situation must be pursued before it's out of control. Next, he says, comfort the faint-hearted. Some versions say the disheartened or the discouraged or the timid. We might say he's saying comfort people that are anxious in their faith. Now, they are the opposite of the overconfident, proud, unruly, and often they're made timid by the overconfident, unruly. And, and the division and stress that those people bring into a church makes it very, very difficult for them to, to progress in their faith. Perhaps they've been hurt in the past. Perhaps the pressures of life have gotten the better of them, better of them and they need encouragement to go on. Maybe they have baggage from the past that is producing current struggles and makes them fearful of the future. Now, here's what's different about them than the unruly. The unruly will often ask questions with an agenda. In my experience, the people that we might call faint-hearted or discouraged or timid, their questions are not, normally not meant to be divisive and a lot of times they're just afraid they're doing the wrong thing. They're just, they're just afraid that, that, that they don't want to mess stuff up. And so our role becomes one of reassurance, encouraging them that you are here to join us. That you are here to make a difference. That you need to hang in there and, it, and it's going to be okay. And, and, and we're glad to have you as part of the team. Next, he says, uphold the weak. Another version says, help the weak. Literally, it means to hold on to and don't let go of those who are struggling. Struggling to what? To obey, to, to obey the word of the Lord, to, to walk on their own, or, or to understand the word of God. Or, or maybe there you just have a friend and, and they just you know they they're just having trouble you know they 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 don't they're they're maybe they're serving and they don't read the serving schedule and they miss a week or something like that and they get that text you know hey are you coming <laughs> right and 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 so maybe you're going to be the one who's going to call them every week and say hey noticed you were on the the service, uh, the serving schedule, first service together. Want to meet in the cafe at 8.30 and get a cup of coffee together or something like that? So what are you doing? You're kind of just gently reminding them because they're, they're struggling in that. Um, perhaps these people are not spiritually strong yet, but I find that most people that are not spiritually strong, if they keep coming, it's because they want to be spiritually strong and they need people to help them to be spiritually strong and and for a lot of them the 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 pull of the culture is very strong on them and what is paul saying don't desert them you know hang in there with them walk alongside of them it could also be people who need um special help due to circumstances beyond their control something's going on in their life something happened in their life there's a there's some, something that's not right. If something's not connecting, maybe they're just always thinking people are out to get them. Maybe they have some physical thing that, they, that, that they're dealing with or something like that. But they're not lazy people. The lazy is a different thing. They're not lazy people. They're just, they're just, they just need to be upheld. And so then he summarizes it all by saying, by, by saying, be patient with all people. You were hoping I'd never get to that one, right? 
Another version says, be patient with everyone. Literally, it means to be long-tempered, to be long-suffering, to have self-restraint. And that's hard because, you know, you, sometimes you're telling people stuff over and over again or, or you've told people stuff four and five times and, they, and they're acting each time like it's the first time they ever heard it. For a follower of Jesus, this is being patient with people. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has been so patient with us. Do you know how you've heard about some people having a short fuse and some people having a long fuse? Do you know how long Jesus' fuse has been with us? And I know this is not always easy because sometimes you have a very, very long fuse and people only see when it gets short. Sometimes you have been you have borne with people tons and tons and tons, and finally you have what I call a Popeye moment. That's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And you reach for the spinach and you want to just start hitting people and walls and stuff like that. And so that's not an easy thing. You need the Spirit of God for that. But 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 by having a short fuse, that's the only way, by being patient, that's the only way we can effectively warn the unruly. By being patient with all, that's the only way we can effectively comfort the faint-hearted. By, by ha- being patient with all, that's the only way we can effectively uphold the weak. And part of the sin nature is we expect people to be patient with us yet we don't often expect the same of ourselves. So we'll just quickly end with verse 15 tonight. See that no one renders, some of your versions say repays, evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. The ESV says, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Another version says, always seek to be kind to every to one another and to everyone. Now one another is, a, is used for church people and everyone could be people outside the church. And this is this is the hardest of situations. Someone treats you in an evil way and we are to refuse to retaliate. There, there's no uh, personal revenge at all. Now that doesn't mean if they commit a crime you don't press charges. That's not what that means. That means that, that if they commit a crime, you're not going to go get a gun and go shoot them. You're, 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 going to, you're going to do what the law says. That's okay. But especially in the church, someone, someone treats you in a way that you don't necessarily like. And, and, you know, people get so upset. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, I don't like the way that person looked at me. And I was like, well, you're ugly. No, I don't say that. <laughs> I don't like the way that person looked at me. And, I, and I'll be like, do you know all the health problems they're having? You know, maybe they're just trying to cope with reality at the moment. And then maybe they weren't looking at you. You thought they were looking at you, but they weren't looking at you. They were just trying to get in the room and get in the seat. They, 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 it wasn't about you. And, and so always remember that Satan, remember he's a terrorist. He stirs the pot of the sin of men and women. Feelings can get easily hurt. If we're not patient, ugliness comes out and the mission of the church is hurt. Well, what's, one of the, what's the antidote? One of, one of the greatest reasons people took notice of the first century church 
because they always pursued peace with people. Because they sought, not all of them, but they sought to do good to all. 1 Peter 2.23 gives us the motivation. Uh, I'm sorry, 21 to 23 gives us the motivation. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself, another version says he entrusted himself, to him who judges righteously. This is God's desire for his church, that it would be a confronting church, that it would be an encouraging church, that it would be a challenging church, that it would be a helping church, that it would be a loving church, serving one another in love with the patience of Jesus Christ. That is the way of Jesus. That is the cross-centered life. And that is the cross-centered church. You want to know what it looks like? That's what it looks like. And that's what God has called us to live out in the power of his spirit and in love towards one another. Well, let's stand and pray.